Hi, I'm Akko. And I'm Marcy. And welcome to another episode, a special episode of the Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast <laughs> that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Hey, yes, colorful backgrounds. And yes, so today, um, to follow up on our episode about Under the Belly of the Bees, we're actually going to be interviewing Corey Bradby Rudd, who Ooh. is the editor of the anthology. So before we jump into the interview, Corey sent us her bio. So we're just going to read that real quick. Corey, sorry if it's a little awkward if we, you know, read your bio right before you jump in, but it's all good. We want yes. the kids so to just, know who you are. So Yes, yes, yes. So just to kind of give you all a bit of context. So Corey Bradby Rudd, who goes by she, her pronouns, is a queer LA-based writer and co-founder of Influx Collective's Queer Poetry Reading Series. She graduated cum laude, yes, cum laude, from Ooh. UCLA's Gender Studies Department and received her MFA in creative writing from California Institute of the Arts. She has been published in Miss Magazine, The Gordian Review, Cali Fragile, Pank Magazine, Entropy, Crab Fat Magazine, among others. She won the Editorial Choice Award for her research paper in, ooh, sorry if I butchered the pronunciation, Ademus, Ademus, uh, spelled A-U-D-E-A-M-U-S, Academic Journal, and was nominated as one of Lambda Literary's 2018 Emerging Writers. Her manuscript, Disowned, is a semifinalist for Yes, Yes Books 2019 Pamit River Prize. You can find her at Corey Bradby Rudd, spelled C-O-R-I-B-R-A-T-B-Y-R-U-D-D dot com. So without further ado, Corey, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Yes. Yes. So so in the last episode, we talked all about Under the Belly of the Beast, just all of our impressions. And yes, there are many, many thoughts on that. But before we kind of jump into all of the nitty gritty on that, we usually kind of start with an icebreaker question, like in most of our episodes between Akko and I. And Akko, I don't want to steal your thunder. You're usually the ones who like (laughs) come up with the questions and like deliver it in like a sickening manner. So by all means, jump in. So, 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 so. Here is what we were thinking, because in Under the Belly of the Beast, many of the characters are seen as villainous or beastly. And it really had us thinking, you know, not every beast is bad and not every beauty is good. You know, sometimes we have a little misconception here. So what is a villain that in a movie or any media that you watch that you were like, you know what? I kind of, I kind of fuck with them. Like I kind of, I'm on their team. I'm on their (laughs) side. And what is a hero that you're like, nah, that's nah. So for instance, one example I gave was Batman. I was like, Bruce Wayne really be causing all of the problems that he's solving in Gotham. (laughs) That's him. So (laughs) he really could just donate. Right. Marcy pointed out an episode of the Powerpuff Girls, which I don't know if you know it, Corey, but with Femme Fatale and she was robbing a Sacagawea coins from the bank and the Powerpuff Girls were like, we don't know, we are conflicted. So <laughs> for you, <laughs> is there any like medium or character that you were like, you know what? Huh. Bad rap. Yeah, um, this is a really fun question. So, I mean, I kind of I kind of fuck with plankton from spongebob yes um, I think he, yeah i like I, I i like him a little bit um so he's like a villain that i i you know i i also feel like i would be a little bit annoyed with spongebob's like intense positivity um and yeah you know he's super committed and he's you know he goes after what he wants so i think he gets a little bit of a bad rap um mm. yeah in terms of like heroes the hero one is a little bit easier for me to identify because there are a lot of like heroes, especially in like Disney movies, especially like the earlier cartoon ones that I find like kind of disturbing. Like I think mm. like the first paper I wrote during my undergrad was just like about how creepy Sleeping Beauty was and how he like kisses her. <laughs> Prince Charming kisses her while she's sleeping. And I just remember yeah. that was really creepy. And then the other one, which is kind of like how Under the Belly of the Beast started was... I've just always thought that the beast from Beauty and the Beast is like just really abusive. And like, I mean, he holds Belle mm. hostage. Like, he, mm. he just, um, I mean, he's angry. He like, I, I'm pretty sure he like punches things. He, he just is like pre- fairly violent. Um, mm. And so that was kind of like 
how under the belly of the beast started was like that uh-huh. kind of tension between like someone who is perceived as a hero but really is really problematic. Mm. Mm. You know, that's a very good point. And also that fairy lady who comes in to turn the beast into a beast is she really a hero either like should you really all he did was open the door not open the door for a stranger and that actually makes sense i would actually say that's a very good practice mm. and she's like you know what because you did that i'm gonna turn you into a mo-. she couldn't sit him down and talk yeah. to him and have a conversation about <laughs> yeah. kindness towards others you know so that's a good point that whole book is like rot with problematic Yeah, there's like a lot in there. And you know, something interesting from that scene too is Nefertiti Asante, one of the contributors to Under the Belly of the Beast. Their piece, I think it's something about like the wrinkled hand of the elder. I'm I'm speaking the exact title, but Mm -hmm. that one's actually about that character that comes in. I think she might be like kind of elderly and it's like she's asking for help. And so it's kind Mm -hmm. of like complicating that too Mm -hmm. about you're right, like maybe not doing something like directly like let's let the stranger into our house but maybe you could if you're like this really wealthy person help this like elderly oh yeah mm. you know like doesn't have a place to stay for the night or something like that and so i know nefertiti wrote a piece about respecting and kind of like listening to elders and that was yeah. like the double meaning of that piece as well um so yeah there's just like that whole story is just fraught with so many different things i definitely didn't identify with bell strongly either so mm. yeah the whole thing just has a lot a lot to critique i think uh-huh. mm. um, so interesting okay i definitely need to reread that piece to kind of get that double meaning because yeah i definitely yeah. did not <laughs> that the first time <laughs> no yeah it, it was actually like when i was talking to nefertiti about it that they started like going into a lot of like what they were thinking when they re- when they wrote it and it was like it mm. clipped for me too so i'm i was in the same same boat mm. yeah I do agree that Plankton, I kind of feel for Plankton. Like his life is rough. You know, he's just trying to compete with the Krabby Patty is a delicious. I feel like, you know, it's like when Popeyes came out with their sandwich and everyone was scrambling. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> you know, and like Plankton's like, how do I compete with the Popeyes sandwich? Like McDonald's now wants to make a new sandwich. Like that's rough. You know, how, yeah. what are you going to say? So I, totally. I feel like- yeah, I thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. So, but and I think also too a lot of it was just like I mean, Plankton's marketing wasn't the best. Like the Chum Bucket, just like like <laughs> just, just, just not an appetizer. I just it. like I, right. I'm like I feel like a rebrand honestly would have saved Plankton a lot of <laughs> heartache. But um. So to kind of, I guess, get us started with the with the interview, we're kind of just curious, like, what is your personal journey as a writer look like through time? And like, how's your evolution as an editor also looked like through time? Yeah, so writing was definitely first before any type of editing. Um, but yeah, so I I'm kind of lucky, like I grew up with parents who read a lot. My parents were divorced. And you know, we were the house that I'm talking about specifically, we were like lower income. We lived in like a one bedroom apartment until it was like maybe like 10 or 11. Um, Mm -hmm. But we read like that was what we did. And so I was like really privileged in that way to just like find the joy of like reading from when I was really little. Like my mom would read me to sleep every night, which is like really sweet. Um, Yeah. Like even now, if I need comfort, I'm like listening to audiobooks to fall asleep just because it's like, (laughs) reminds me of home but yeah so like I grew up in a family that read and so I think that for me like really started like kickstarted my imagination too Mm. I used to um I used to like get all of the neighborhood kids together and like direct plays like I think I would kind of wing it like well I don't think (laughs) but I would be like okay say this and like kind of like and we did like send invites to all the other neighbors and stuff like that i love that yeah, yeah like everyone was like i'm sure they were like dying of boredom probably but like all of the like, adults that came to like watch but yeah we would we would have these intense plays just like on the lawn i also like had parents that didn't have a tv at that house so it was like very like i had to entertain myself Uh. and so that was like when i started writing and then i would like before i could spell i would like dictate 
to my mom and she would like write out what I wanted to write in like books like I would we have like copies of like books about like dragons or just like random things that I was writing about when I was like wow. four or five <laughs> um, yeah so I definitely was like really drawn in to stuff when I was really little and that was kind of more like fantasy for sure just like kind of like little kid stuff but I didn't mm-hmm. really start to get serious about writing until I was in college and I was actually in gender studies classes mm-hmm. and I read poetry that I felt like actually applied to my experience so something about me um is like I have queer parents so I like I had experienced a lot of homophobia growing up mm-hmm. and I was given tools to articulate it through these different poems or different like readings that I was I was reading in school and so that like mm-hmm. really started me being able to be like oh let's critique some of the experiences instead of like holding on to a lot of shame or like I I mm. really was into trying to be like a super perfectionist because I really mm-hmm. wanted to prove that queer people could be good parents and mm-hmm. I wanted to like fight for my family kind of uh. thing um so getting access to being able to like actually like be like oh wait no like my family's not the thing that is wrong like it's the system was so empowering and took like such a weight off of me and that's when I really started to like write poetry for fun basically but like wow. write poetry also like actually about my experience instead of necessarily like creating alternate worlds that I could live in like that was when I mm-hmm. was able to like do like actual oh. and so that was kind of when I just really started writing and that was when I was like I think this is something that I want to continue doing because it's just so healing for me Mm. yeah and then in terms of editing editing still doesn't come as naturally to me like I feel like I went to grad school to learn how to edit because writing first drafts is super it comes very easily to me but doing something with it after is what really is difficult um (laughs) and like turning it into something that like yeah it's like because I'm I'm fine at yeah writing something but it's like how do I get this into something that is something strong that I can believe in Mm. and I also feel like that is what sets apart a lot of people who maybe will like I think it's loaded who maybe feels like they have access to identifying as like, I'm a writer versus saying I like writing. I think there's like Mm. dynamics in that. But I also think like for me where I'm at now, that's kind of like how I distinguish it. Like, I don't think it has anything to do with institutional recognition, though that Mm. kind of like empowered me to say I'm a writer. I like I'm a writer. But I think a lot of like, who I would identify as writers is like people who are take that first draft and try to do something with it. I Um, see. Yeah. Cause it's like, there's like a different level of like commitment, but yeah, the journey for editing, like I feel like I'm still on it and I still is something that is difficult for me. So I have to challenge myself to do it because I feel like the fun part is the first draft, the like just sheer creation. And then the part where you have to like really like be committed to like making something valuable is in the editing. Mm. Right. We interviewed Larissa Lai and she made this good point about killing your darling when you're writing. And mm. I think that's what you're talking about. Like that moment when you have to be like, but I, I made all this stuff and I put it all on paper and I love it. It's my soul. And then you're like, mm-hmm. edit your soul. And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's super hard. And sometimes it's like, I think something is amazing and then I'll revisit it. Like sometimes the key is just like leaving it aside for like a few months and then revisiting. Mm. Because a lot of times I'll be like, this is amazing. And then I'll come back a couple months later and be like, what was I thinking? Like there's so (laughs) much that needs to be changed. So yeah, editing is definitely like every time I talk to writers, I always ask them like, how do they edit? Because it's such like a difficult thing for me. So I'm like trying to acquire new tools for figuring out how other folks do it too. Right. Oh my God. I really like what you were saying about, or I think I can really identify with what you were saying about using a fantasy world to almost escape. And then the moment of being like, hey, my life isn't weird or abnormal and therefore I can write about my life. I feel like so many people do escape into the fantasy world because the real world doesn't match who they are or it doesn't take into consideration their lived experience. And so they're like, well, I'll just make a whole new world for myself. And I've never heard someone say that sentence I felt like I could write about my experience now. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I feel like a lot of people need to hear that or identify that. Not to say that I love fantasy, not to say that like fantasy is always escapism. But um, 
I just like that sentence. So I wanted to like highlight it for the audience. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's mm. definitely how it was in my experience. And I still love fantasy to this day. Like at the moment, I'm like actually rereading Harry Potter. It feels really Christmassy to me. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why. But yeah, so I totally agree that like fantasy is will always be like how I got started in reading. That's what I started reading was like all right. these fantastical. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still a, a huge fantasy fan. Mm. Um, but I was going to say, <laughs> Marcy, remember how we did terrible transitions last time? And by we, I mean me. So last <laughs> time, <laughs> I just threw in sentences. And so I'm not going to do any better this time, apparently. But <laughs> you, will you tell us about um, the after school in Dissonance Press? Just because at the beginning of Under the Belly of the Beast, there is a really just interesting tidbit written by Reika Aoki about the after school and dissonance press and what they're trying to accomplish. And we would love to hear more about it. Yeah. So the after school is incredibly exciting. So basically there's different programs. They all kind of get conflated a little bit. So I'll break it down. So Rika mm -hmm. started, Rika Aoki started the after school, which is a program that's currently hosted at Beyond Baroque, which is a literary arts center in mm. um, Los Angeles. And she is creating a monthly workshop space. It's on the third Sunday of the month from three to five, open to the public, completely free. And oh. yeah, so it's like folks who are writers, like if you're in LA, you should definitely go. Rika's incredible. She was on this podcast in the past. And yeah, everything she says is just like magic. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, <correct>. but, <laughs> yeah, right. I know it's like everything she says is just like extreme. So basically what happened is she was hosting this workshop and I, I didn't know what to expect. But I was like, I'm going to be there because Rika Aoki is hosting a free workshop to the public. So I went and she gave this presentation basically about her ideas about challenging the literary machine that currently exists, which is a lot of times, all of the time, writers are expected to complete a finished product of work, turn it in, and then finally after that see some sort of pay or, or some sort of credit, right? Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of folks, that's extremely inaccessible because for a lot of marginalized folks specifically, right, like we work full-time plus jobs. We have families. We have to like cook for them. We have right. to do all of these added on tasks. And it makes it really actually difficult to like find the time to write and to create. Whereas some of these white guys who are publishing novels like nonstop, they have like people who clean up after them. They have their mom who brings them sandwiches, you know, like they just have like, <laughs> access to like all of these resources like that right. a lot of other communities and marginalized folks just like don't have access to. And so Rika's idea was really like we can all acknowledge like a lot of the biggest strength of like our communities and like the queer community is is the community. It's like, it's how we work together mm. and how we really like support one another. And she's like, what if we could create something that didn't rely on that model of the solitary genius, right? So what if we could create, mm. what if we could create works of fiction that involve a team of writers, kind of like a TV show, right? Like you have the writer's room. And she was kind of also talking about like this false myth that collaborative work isn't cohesive. Um, mm. And how she really thought like that we could challenge that. And it is a test platform as well. So she'll be the first to admit like this is something we're trying that we don't really fully know if it's like been tried out before. I know of a couple like collaborative works, but the way that this is done feels very different to me because it's mm -hmm. um, the point is to try to uplift one another. Like we're not trying to have our chapter be the best in an anthology. Like we're all mm. trying create something really cohesive which I think is really different than a lot of calls for submissions and anthologies but anyway so I so I show up to this meeting and she's giving this pitch and I'm like super excited and into it and she's like okay so let's just like go around and does anyone have any ideas for a project that's kind of collaborative in nature okay go and so she like has all of us go around and I was like what and I'm like, trying to think of like and so Rika's amazing she just like puts you on the spot kind of and you have to just go for it and so everyone goes around and people are having a hard time and it gets to me and I'm like um and I just kind of like threw an idea out there and I was like what if we queered some fairy tales what if we queered like Beauty and the Beast or something like that and she was like okay let's do it and I was like, what? Oh, it was that <laughs> easy? <laughs> yeah. And so she was like, yeah, this is our first project. And, and I was just like, 
okay. <laughs> and so she was like, you're leading it. So what are we doing now? And I was like, oh, oh, what? <laughs> and so part of what's really cool about the after school is it's like teaching folks who may not have had those positions of power, like how mm-hmm. to lead projects. She's written what, like six books or something. So she knows, she knows what she's doing. So she's yeah. like in a mentorship position to you and uh, to me. And um, so like, so she was like, Okay, like, so she kind of broke it down to me because I was like, I, I was like, I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. And she was like, okay, like, is it going to be in print or is it going to be online? And I was like, mm-hmm. no, it should be in print. And then she's like, okay, so we have to create a press. So oh. this is where Dissonance Press gets created. Mm-hmm. Because, so what's really cool about the after school is now we've created a press that's a platform for everyone else's work as well. So right. as we're going and as we're, developing more projects all of those can use the same thing that we've developed right so like our next project is gonna be a journal mm-hmm. so any other project that has the idea of like no i want this to be an online journal i want this to be in an online kind of capacity right. then we can use that platform we've already created so same with like right. so anyone else who's like no i want something to be like in print like we'll just use this in this press and we already have it created and we already have like the logo and like all that stuff. So it's, it's really, it's about collaboration in like the work process itself, but it's also about like building these things for ourselves that like the whole community can use, which is also like really exciting. So Rika's whole idea too is like about the way that we create is like very, so for this an- anthology, each author is clearly identified for the piece, but like in mm, the future, right. we're kind of hoping, I fully feel like if those names were removed, that it could be plausible that this book was written by like one person, just because mm, the, the mm, vision mm. behind it is really strong. But the goal in the future is to have books like that, where like they're written collaboratively and you have no idea who wrote which part. Right. Um, we're thinking about doing like a Ranga poem, which is like a longer poem where each person writes a stanza. So we have a ton of ideas. And right now we're just focusing on kind of like one at a time because we're a smaller team. But honestly, that's how I got involved was just like I showed up every month. <laughs> and yeah. And so that's my advice to writers, too, is like if you see an opportunity like that, just like go after it. Yeah. And like stuff happened. Like I had no idea I would come out of that meeting as the editor of an anthology. Like that blew my mind. <laughs> so like, wild. Yeah, no, it like literally blew my mind. <laughs> and, yeah, and like my assignment was like, okay, now you go home and like within the next couple of days, like you write the call for submissions and we'll start sending it out. And we sent between like Rika and I, we both had a lot of friends in like the literary community. So we we kind of just like sent it out to folks who we felt like their work applied or like they maybe had like talked about similar themes of like dehumanization in the past, which unfortunately a lot of queer folks do. And so, and marginalized folks. So yes, and then it just came together. Like it was like, I had all of these submissions in like a month. So, and then it was like, we were slowly learning how to like put together a book and do things like that. So it just, it did work kind of exactly how Rika had, I would assume like hoped it would in terms of we were able to come up with this anthology within a month, which is also kind of the goal is like, how can we get queer folks to be able to like create at the same speed of someone who doesn't have to work full-time jobs and is like a trust fund baby or something. Mm. Um, So yeah, the, the birth of under the belly of the beast was like really shocking and exciting to me because I literally (laughs) was just like, yeah, it it still is pretty surreal. I, I, I'm literally like at a loss for words because that is truly wild. Like I, yeah. <laughs> is, like the most productive meeting I think I've that has ever happened. Like I just right. I wild. Yeah, and, yeah, literally. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm curious. I guess like like is it like a very consistent group of people or is it like kind of rotating? Like for example, mm. if someone cares about it, sort of like could they still join? Like I guess like what's the structure like yeah. in terms of like the cast of characters? Oh yeah, totally. So we definitely want new folks to be involved at the current moment one of the difficulties that we've been having is like because it does involve a lot it involves like a lot of commitment right like you if you want to like propose a project you really you know you have to direct it right Um, and so that's like we've had a lot of folks coming through and a lot of folks with like 
really, really exciting ideas. And at this point, we're still kind of like figuring it out as we go. But yeah, so we're always welcoming new people for sure. Like, and if someone, you know, someone already had a collaborative project that they had already finished and wanted to send it to us, like we would love to look at it and like consider it. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The workshop space is kind of an opportunity for folks to develop if they had any ideas. Um, and you have like a team of writers there that are ready to help you. Like we've had another meeting where like uh, it was a first time person who came in and they had an idea. It was like similar to Modern Love in that where you have like each person had like a character and it was like that character dealing with depression and also like interpersonal relationships. And mm-hmm. but it was all in like the same world um, and they like knew each other. But each person would be tasked with writing a different segment of the story. Oh, um, and which was really cool so like so we spent that workshop having a team of folks kind of develop that specific project but that's also part of it too is you know we might do something in the workshop that doesn't end up getting published because the point of it too is we really do need the folks who propose the projects to like really be committed and to like mm. help it along especially because we're only a team of like two at the moment but we're always looking for new folks to get involved in the after school. And mostly it's just a space to try to help the projects come to be. What I think I really like about this concept of not just the after school and the Sins Press is just this collectiveness, like collective writing, this collective thinking. And as you said earlier, kind of taking it away from the sole genius, which in a lot of ways only starts with kind of the Uberman concept of the 20th century or the 19th century anyway, right? Like this tortured genius and he should be allowed to do whatever he wants because he had like invented space or something like, and it's just like, <laughs> we should all just bow at his feet where it's like, but so much of the history of storytelling is collective. It's people building on stories and building on other people's ideas and throwing something in, you know, all of like oral stories there's so many times like I'll ask like my African parents I'm like so is this like the story and they're like I mean sometimes other times it goes like this and I'm like this is very inconsistent (laughs) and they're like I don't know why it has to be consistent I'm like good point so going back to that or bringing that back into storytelling and I was talking about this when we actually talked about the episode is like there are so many corporations who have taken that oral history and that the changing like those different stories like the grim fairy tales were totally just a bunch of people making up stuff and then streamlined it for capitalism which i mean get your money i guess but they were able to profit off of that and then silo it through copyright and other laws and like not let anyone use it and it's kind of nice to go back to the concept of everyone just throwing their ideas out there and being able to yeah have their voices heard so I like it. Yeah, it's really cool, too, because it's like it was really collaborative. Yeah, that meeting, we all voted on like which project we would want to contribute to. And that was like also a part of it was Rika like identified it, but we all voted on it, too, just to make sure it was it was something we felt like we could all like contribute to. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of something that we're really interested in doing, too, like is exploring what forms of writing have been determined like not literary right like cookbooks Mm -hmm. um i think we're talking about like prayer books or um just basically like these forms of writing that have been determined not legitimate that a lot of times are like forms of writing that mostly women have been producing and so i see um so that's like another idea too is like to try to uplift those forms and still subvert them right like we'd be interested in maybe a cookbook where like next to each recipe there's like a story or like or, or like a story that goes with the recipe um yeah so those are the kinds of things that we're really interested in but honestly like and every meeting i swear like people have had these like really exciting ideas about collaboratively building these worlds like I remember at one of the meetings we had someone who had this idea where you would start it was like a love story where you would start with like these main two people and then Mm -hmm. one person would write the story about like those two people and then it would branch off and it would get assigned to the next person and the next person would have to take one of those characters and only write about that one character and in a new story, and then also introduce another character. So you're always having like, oh. characters, and then it would just keep branching out. So you don't even know where the story would end up going because, like, yeah. all the writers are taking it on. Oh um, my god! So, I yeah, love so this. It's like, yeah, so it's like every time I go to the meetings, I'm just super excited because everything is just super intriguing. Um, and like a couple projects that we have lined up. The next project for sure is going to be called Fortune Express. And this is Rika's project that she's 
the head of and leading. Mm. So the project is based on a genre of anime. And it's this really, basically, she's creating a food truck that moves around different parts of LA. It's called Fortune Express. Mm-hmm. And there are the core staff members that work at this food truck. So there's, um, yeah, there's maybe like four or five staff members that are always there. And she has like character descriptions written of each one. And this Mm -hmm. food truck moves around different places in L.A., serves different types of food. And basically the point is for each writer who's writing about one of these stories is like they'll take it to a different part of L.A., and there's always it's supposed to be this theme is supposed to be of intense catharsis. So it's not focusing on like and most of the characters will have maybe something traumatic that has happened to them, but it won't be discussed. It won't we won't go into it. It'll be just kind of like that moment of catharsis where you're eating the food after maybe something kind of difficult has happened mm. and it's supposed to leave you in that space of feeling really healed so that's the next project is this food truck project where the food truck literally moves around los angeles and different writers come in and they write different stories based on a character that they can invent but it'll always have those same core employees that have certain character traits so that's our next project that we're gonna do i love it wow yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds amazing yeah. I'm super excited about it too. So what's cool about the after school also is it's almost like a bit of a banking exercise because like, Mm. for instance, I edited the first anthology, which means that like, I kind of made the commitment to whoever contributed to me when they have a project that comes up, I will contribute to their project. Mm. So that's also where the commitment comes in too, because you have to be willing to not only support yourself, but also support the other folks who have contributed to your work. Um, So Rika contributed to mine. So like my job too, is I have to learn this genre of anime, which I don't watch anime frequently. And so like, I've been Mm -hmm. checking out books from the library, trying to like learn. I've written a couple of failed drafts. Like it's like, (laughs) but I'm like really trying, but that's part of what's so cool about it being a group of queer and marginalized folks who really want to support each other's vision is like, there's much more effort that I'm I'm right. I'm sure everyone's putting in in order to like make this something really well done. Yeah. Um, because we care about each other so much. It's like I do not want to disappoint or like move away from Rika's vision like whatsoever. So it, it's really interesting and exciting too and I also get to learn about a genre that I've never heard about. So it's certainly a challenge as well. I love this. I sorry. <laughs> sorry, <Yeah>. Akko. <laughs> no, go ahead, Marcy. I just like, I'm literally like, I know like my video um, isn't on right now, but like literally I'm just sitting here like mouth agape. Like this <laughs> is like, what? Like, I just, it's so funny. Cause like, I feel like the, so, um, so obviously Akko and I, we talked about Himalaya Hilo and in that book, like food was such a huge theme. So even just hearing about this food tracker idea, it just like brought back so many memories of like, like Nona and Harry. And I was just like, wow, this is so it's like such an interesting kind of continuation of that, yeah. like at the theme, but like in this like very interactive way. And I love how it's like, like a lot of what you describe. It almost sounds like like literary improv. I don't know if that's a yes. thing, but yes. it's just like like this idea of like it's like okay, someone starts something and then like it goes to someone else and then it's punted to someone else. It's just like it really challenges that idea of like okay, before I even like you know write something down or whatever, like I need to like really know what exactly is going to happen. I just love that it's like we're just like going to see what happens. Like that's so, it's just so interesting. I'm literally just like, Oh my gosh. And I, and I actually have a question, but I, I, I don't want to, I know Akko has some thoughts to share as well. So I can, I'll wait until, until she expresses her thoughts. Oh, well, I was just going to say one, I agree with everything Marcy said. And I think the spontaneity is exactly what sometimes you feel as a person of color or a queer person or a marginalized person that you aren't, allowed to do and still have it considered literature quote unquote like right. you you feel that need to be like I-, I need to like make sure my work fits and and that anxiety sometimes makes it hard for a lot of people or just really anyone to sort of start writing and so I love that it's like you know what just do it just write and just go and see what happens I also wanted to know what if someone doesn't live in LA like can they go to the after school virtually or like can they join a project because I mean not everyone lives in LA (laughs) but um, there's so many people who love writing and and I think who would benefit from this idea maybe their town is smaller and they don't have you know it's the same kind of uh, yeah yeah absolutely we we would love to unfortunately at this time we don't have 
there's just like connection issues yeah. at the venue that we're working at. So we don't have the ability to have folks like Skype in. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, we are so open and willing to work with people. Like if we got an email where someone was like, I have this really cool idea. Like, can you help me try to make it happen? Like we'd be on the phone with them, you know? So we're like, we really want to support folks. And like, if someone is super committed, like we're excited to have them on board. Something that we're starting is we do want folks to contribute to a project before they lead one, just so they can kind of Mm. uh, get the hang Mm. of, this is like a newer thing that we've started, but we do want folks to do that just so that they can kind of get the hang of how it works. But we do actually have a couple of open calls. So on our website, we have, I think under maybe like a heading that says like submissions or something, we do have open calls. So like once we get Fortune Express going so that they can kind of see the trajectory of the stories, we're definitely accepting writing that's on those same like food truck stories. Again, it it is set in LA. So I mean, also, we're really willing to work with people, but it is so I mean, try to figure it out so that that would be I could see that being difficult. But another project that we have going that we actually have an open call for is called Fast Food Review. And we're kind of trying to challenge the uh, the Michelin star. Like, n- none of us can afford to go to these, like, really fancy, uh, at least, like, in the- <laughs> none of us can afford to go to any of those, like, really fancy restaurants and, like, write a review. Um, mm. So we're kind of just, like, challenging that industry a little bit. And it's just, like, a fun kind of quick project right. that people can do. But we're asking folks to go to Jack in the Box specifically, but really any fast food restaurant and write like a very serious and earnest review of the (laughs) (laughs) and like just about everything that they observe. And it's been like very fascinating to see. Yeah. Like some, like, I think there was one person really focused on like the naming of a burger being called like buttery Jack and like the sexual innuendo and just like (laughs) it. And then like people would, I like when I went, I was like, what would you recommend? And the guy looked at me like I was, really weird (laughs) and like so yeah so it's just been like really kind of fun stuff like that too but we're yeah we're definitely are open to folks contributing that are from afar and you know they could send us an email on our if they just google like dissonance press they could send us an email through the site um Mm -hmm. or message like we're on facebook on the after school or dissonance press like we're very open to folks who like if someone's like oh my gosh this is really cool i live far away how can i get involved like we would love to chat with them Mm. oh my gosh i uh yes i i love that and just super quickly before we i guess pivot to talking about under the belly of the beast specifically i'm kind of curious like i guess how you all sort of handle conflict because i can imagine like with everything being super collaborative you know there are some creative differences and things of that nature like I'm, I'm just curious what y'all's approach on that tends to tends to be yeah that's a good question I think that's also what is really successful about it's collaborative yes but we also have a leader for a project mm. um, so I think that's what's really helpful about it because it is a group but there's like a different dynamic so like for example for under the belly of the beast I am the editor of it so even though it's collaborative like I still have that power to be like no this is the vision and in fact that's what we want um mm-hmm. we, we want folks to have that clear vision because we also feel like that ends up creating a piece of work that is the most valuable and intriguing anyways. And it, it, it helps contain like, because sometimes if you have like a ton of people, you write like it can go off in like a ton of different directions, but it right. helps kind of like maintain right. that like line of like, no, this is what we're working on. So when I say that I rewrote a couple of the Fortune Express stories, it's also because Rika read them and was like, mm-mm. So, uh. so it's so right. So it's like, and that's like totally like I see what you're saying, and I need to rework it. So we definitely are like that's what's the important part about having like a leader per project is like it really is that person's vision, and as like the team of writers, we're trying to help with that vision. Mm, I like okay. that, and also I feel like sometimes it's almost overwhelming to be given so much space, especially if you're not used to writing so sometimes it, it kind of is nice to have someone else be like this is the topic write about this topic and then to get feedback on that because I feel like if it's something that you also thought up and it's your baby getting criticism for it might be kind of hard but to have like someone else's idea and then write about the idea and then have them criticize it it allows you to better your writing skills without like being so hurt so I, I think this could be really cool for people who especially if you've just started writing like this might be something to really really look into or you know I mean yeah you, 
Yeah. No, absolutely. Because that's part of it too, is like, it's not a flat out rejection. Like none of these things are like, you know, like it's not like my work was rejected from Fortune Express. It's like, no, 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 Mm. you need to go back because, because what I did when I was writing was I had focused a little bit too much on the incident that had happened prior. And she, mm. and Rico was like, it's not so much about like that traumatic moment. It's about the after. And right. so that was what I had to like really think through too. Um, mm. But so, it, I mean, for me, I think that's what's really exciting about it too, is you're also getting to work to improve your writing. So it's yeah. not just like, at least in my experience, that hasn't just been like a flat out rejection at all. Right. It's been uh. like, let's work with this to try to get to the vision that we're working on. Which again is like, I think it's really cool and like healing in a writing space because so many of us, you know, everyone in the writing, like there's a whole challenge of trying to get like a hundred rejections a year. Like everyone who's submitting right. stuff frequently knows like, and it can be heavy, like getting all of those rejections. Um, mm. But it, it is part of the writing community at the moment, right. but it's kind of nice to be able to like actually continue trying to get it right. Or even get feedback, right? Because you get this rejection letter and all they say is you're rejected. And you're like, why? You you mm-hmm. you know, it's like when someone ghosts you. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So for sure that's like part of our goal too, is keeping with the vision. I mean, in terms of conflict, like Rika and I are like really good communicators. So we've we haven't necessarily had like disagreements, but we've had conversations about different directions or things like that. But it's, it's always gone. I mean, like, luckily, we're both like writers. And I think the key is just like remembering the specific vision of the project, or just like of the press or of the after school in general. Um, and just like mm-hmm. making sure we're continuing to follow that throughout. That's like a very core principle that we have is just like mm-hmm. making sure, you know, like, even if we really want to publish something um, that someone proposes, like, it's not collaborative, or like repurposing something in the way that like, in the same way that like, we have envisioned, like, we're, we might not be able to develop mm. that project. But what we can do is we can like, tell folks like, oh, this is really what we're looking for. Is there a way you could tweak this to fit our mission? Mm. Mm. So I love this, but let's take a quick break. And then we can come back and talk a little bit more about Under the Belly of the Beast. And we're back. So, so yeah, so Corey, we are obviously just like enamored with all things the after school. So like, thank you for giving all of that <laughs> information and context. This is like such an interesting initiative. Something that, so you, so you kind of touched a little bit earlier about, I guess, how the theme of queering fairy tales and stuff like that sort of led to this anthology. I'm kind of curious if there were any sort of residual thoughts that you had about just like, I guess, how that theme of beasts kind of got further explored and expanded mm. and people started to submit and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, I mean, I know I edit it, so I'm like biased, but I really, I really do believe so strongly in all of the pieces in here in Under the Belly of the Beast. And what ended up happening, which was really exciting to me, was we did find like a really clear kind of trajectory of where the stories were going. And that arc to me is really fascinating. And so the way we ended up organizing the anthology, the way I ended up organizing the anthology was really based on what I feel like a lot of marginalized folks process in terms of like experiencing dehumanization. I feel like it models it pretty well. So it's kind of like the first part of the anthology. We really like, I really wanted to focus on that first feeling of being dehumanized where like, at least for me, like, and I know a lot of other folks who contributed to it was like feeling like you are the sin, like feeling like you are Mm. the thing that is wrong. And that was just like a common theme that ended up, coming up consistently when people were writing is it's like I am I am the beast because I'm being so mistreated right like I am this dehumanized thing and so what ended up happening was like there was definitely like some undertones of religion that kept popping up Mm. um but also just like racialized like a lot of folks talked about like I I remember like Sarah Yanni wrote about her piece is called mutt and it's about Mm. um, being interracial and so there's a lot of folks that queer the idea of beast to like really kind of address the fact that they feel like they have been treated that way and that came up across the board and so then the trajectory of the book which i find really interesting too is like it goes into to critiquing that too like to being like well like how does this make any sense that there are like people or things that are like 
actually really evil that are being like lauded as really beautiful and like great in every way but then there are people right. who are like actually good people who are being dehumanized in this way so right. then, you, then you go into like Riga's piece which I really like called Geranium um about Mednick the um about Mednick the beast at the zoo yeah, um, yeah. And, and Carol the I, witch, my God. Yeah, and so oh my God. <laughs> so about that is it's like, like at first sight, Mendic is beast, right? Because he's being held in this zoo, and like everyone's gawking at him. But as you're getting into the story, like the real beast is the witch, like the white liberal witch who, like, correct. I, yeah, yeah, it's like the real beast is the person who, like, she tries to like help him, and and I'm saying that with air quotes, and she keeps messing with his life, right? Um. Yeah. And, and like in really tragic ways. Right. And so, so then you start to kind of go into like, okay, let, and all of the pieces I feel like do this too, but like, hold on, like who is actually the beast? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And, and then it's like, um, I know like my piece as well. It, it's a nonfiction piece. Uh, that's actually, it's this genre of writing. It's called molting that one of my professors proposed to us and I like I'm really drawn to it where it's like you write a little bit every day on either on kind of like two maybe subjects that don't quite fit but you feel like they're a little bit connected and you try to every day you try to connect them and so for me it was like queer people and beasts was like this connection that I kept coming back to repeatedly and so it's the same kind of thing though where I'm like I feel in my piece I'm like really trying to question like who owns the definition of evil? Like what is actually wrong and evil? Like are the people Mm. who have like mistreated me, like shouldn't they be the evil ones because they're actually like doing this harm. And then I feel like it goes really strongly into the like, hell yeah. Like those are the people who are actually. I really love like a lot of the pieces in this anthology, (laughs) but, um, but then, yeah. And then, so it's almost like reverse trajectory instead of like, beauty and the beast it's like beast to beauty is kind of like how how mm, i picture it yeah um and it's it's a lot of like internal processing of at least that i feel like i went through of placing the blame on the self or like feeling like i'm mm. something less than to like actually like really like and having to spend like years thinking about it and like going towards like no wait a second this is not this doesn't even make any sense like obviously someone who like abuses power and someone who's like actually does evil things is the beast yeah i like that a lot and i think um yeah you know when you like have a thought but you can't because you're still (laughs) (laughs) i just i think (laughs) i i feel like there's i when i was reading it i i could feel that in the story i was like oh my god this is yeah when you go into the world and the world it says you're the villain in the story. How do you process that? And how and and sometimes you it happens so early in your life that you become to you come to identify with it before you reject it. And so I think we both like that line, Marcy, who owns a definition of evil. Yeah. I think it really resonated with with both of us just because it's there's a power in being able to decide who the hero and the villain is. There's a more a moral power. You know what I mean? There's a there's a social power and and who you can, yeah, degrade. And I really liked it. But I had a question going off of that about the way syntax and grammar and punctuation is used in the anthology, because I I think there's definitely a deconstruction happening there that I really liked, but I wanted to know what the inspiration for that was. I am very into like form play. Um, So that's something (laughs) that I like just across the board, like on my own time, like I just really like, because I think it's a way to critique a system in the content of the writing but also in the way that it's written so I think it kind of has like a dual effect like just an example would be like something that I did in my first manuscript which I'm trying to pitch around still um which is called disowned is I have a reimbursement claim in it to the catholic church and and I have like and it's emotional because it's like literal things that have happened with like cost values but I think what it does is like it forces you to not only intake that information but also like it forces you to process it in a different way which I think is really exciting Mm. and I think it's also like super queer to just like take a form and mess with it Mm. 
Mm. Um, so that's something I like, I'm really excited by. I also went to, I went to CalArts for my MFA, which is like very experimental school. So a lot of my friends also went through the same program. So Mm -hmm. I think it's like also just like a theme of like maybe the writers that I'm really drawn to is like the way they're like really messing with traditional forms, right? Right. Like, Like there aren't many like pantooms or like sestinas or whatever in this collection but it's like it's very strong poetry and maybe it's taking like different forms and a lot of them are like invented forms like sid wesley wrote a um it's called yes. a Diptych, and yeah. they they completely invented that form and i was i was in a class with them and i was sitting next to them and i was like this is fantastic like yeah can we, can we include it in the anthology and they like agree and we're excited but like yeah so so what they did was if you look at that poem, um, it's like short square box. Um, and we want it to appear on uh, like, so that you can see both on, like if you open a book, like you can see one on one side and one on the other. Mm. And they, they use all of the exact words are used in each one, but they're rearranged. Right. And so one is like what the mom wanted them to be. And one is like what they actually are. Right. Um, and it was just like so compelling to me that they used all of the exact same language, but we're able to create a form that really switched what it meant. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm like very into playing with form. I think it's really exciting. Right. And oh I think gosh. what I I love about it, thinking about it now, is just the idea that who made up like, you know, a sonnet anyway. Like it's just yeah. someone put a form on page and then we all sort of deferred to that as a structure that needs to be adhered to, but who is to say that another form could not inspire, create, or allow for that same, or even a more, an expression of our humanity or an expression of someone's thoughts onto paper. Like there's no reason right. why um, what's in wrote wouldn't just in the same way um, allow someone the space to write who they were. You know what I mean? In the same way that a sonnet has allowed so many people to write who they were. So, yeah, absolutely. And like a lot of times, the reason why forms last, like sometimes, I mean, like, I don't know if like a Sistina has the same pull to me, but like a lot, like a sonnet, I can get because of like the iambic pentameter. Like, but right. like, I get it in a lot of ways. But yeah, that's what's so exciting is like people really can like shift these. Like, I know like Jericho Brown invented the duplex, which is just like a mashup of a few different forms. And like mm. people are inventing forms all the time. And mm. I find them just like super, I find them really intriguing when people can really like mess with those forms. I think it, particularly when people use forms that are like not related to what you would consider like a literary genre, I find it really fascinating. Right. Like, we'll do like, like, you know, like an update on your phone app or something like that. Like, right. use, like that as a form. Like, <laughs> That's I, a good I point. Created, yeah, like I created one that was like an update of my grandma. It was like to like, you know, make oh my god, um, it's like it does something <laughs> to your brain when you're using things that are like a little not necessarily like in that literary genre, right? That you would assume mm. aren't in that. Wow, that's just in it. I love that so much because especially coming from marginalized people like that in itself just has so much power. But I love that, like, I think it also kind of just goes back to sort of like, yeah, like the broader goal of like breaking down the literary machine. It's like, we're just like, like we're forcing ourselves to just think about everything like as it exists and sort of like break down the constructions of like what can, what what is and isn't literature in a way that it's like, just leads to more compelling, more innovative, more interesting pieces. Like reading through this, I mean, it's so funny. All of the all of the <laughs> the texts that you cited were ones that we talked about in our in our funny. episode between the That's two of true. us. Because it's just like there are just so many things where I was like, "Wow, this is I have literally never read something like this before." Like this mm. is what? in like the oh, best cool. way possible. Like this is so yeah. yeah. So I just I I love that so much. And and I guess I'm kind of curious. What is sort of the the broader goal of the anthology or rather like what are some things I guess you all are hoping to leave listeners listeners slash readers with in terms of the anthology as a whole yeah I mean I think I have two goals two main ones at least and one is like for the book itself I really do want people to think more critically and and challenge a little bit what 
we consider to be beastly. And I think I also want it to be like a space where queer folks who have felt dehumanized can read through it and be like, oh my God, I feel really validated right now. Like this is something that I've experienced and like it's helping me process through it. Like I would love to have read that when I was like in high school when I was still processing things. Like it would have really been really helpful for me in terms of actually realizing that like I'm not the thing that's that's wrong. Um just for existing. Um, And so I think that's for sure one of the goals. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think also a main goal too is for Dissonance Press and the after school is like, because this is our first project, like we really want to kind of clue people in to what we're trying to do. And so that's Mm -hmm. a major goal for this too, is like, we really want folks to get excited about what we're doing and to get involved and like to come up with more ideas of different things that we can try to create and subvert so that's also a main goal is like it is our first project. And so we really want it to accurately represent ourselves. We want to make sure it looks really good. We want to just make sure that we're 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 inviting folks that we want in our space to like to continue to show up. So it's it's definitely um it's kind of like a twofold goal. Like I have a goal for the anthology itself, but also a goal for like our future projects in general is like we really want the after school and the press to really thrive. And it is mm-hmm. like the first one. So we know that we we want to like put a lot of weight on trying to make it as good as we can. Wow. That is, I love that. I, <laughs> I love that. And I guess before we, before we wrap up to the extent that like you feel comfortable doing this, are there any particular say passages or lines from the anthology that you would like to sort of share with our listeners just so they can kind of get more of a taste of what some of it reads like? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would love to do that. I also just want to add to like, I think something that's really interesting about this piece is how cohesive it is. I, I would mm. hope that that's how, something that maybe you all came away with too. But like, it's honestly difficult for me to come up with like a favorite piece because I feel like a lot of them go together so well that it's like, True. it's almost like difficult to like weave out specifics but of course there are always kind of lines that stick out to me so Mia Willis something that they wrote in theirs and I hope I don't butcher it but it's something along the lines of folks keep Frankensteining my speech and it's one of the, mm-hmm. the first lines in their piece and it really like really sticks out to me as being important something that I experience is like whenever I talk about discrimination or like things that maybe like people said to me as like a kid or something growing up Mm -hmm. in a queer family is like people will immediately jump and be like oh so you don't think queer people should have kids and I'm like you literally Um, like I've been told that like many times and people uh, just and and it's like really upsetting to me because it's like I'm trying to make life better for queer families and they just like completely jump to the like opposite Mm. of what I'm trying to say and it's like flabbergasting but that to me really stuck out as something that I was like that kind of like struck a chord because it's like you're fighting so hard and trying to say something and people are just like so committed to misinterpreting what you're saying it's just like so upsetting to me so that piece that whole piece stood out a lot to me Rika's piece stood out I talked about it a little bit the, the, mm-hmm. the, the switching of in the story of who the beast is and who's evil was really intriguing honestly there's like I really am just yeah I like so Hank Henderson's piece was really intriguing to me too because what he did was he actually took and I think in the final we're gonna have maybe like a little asterisk so that people can understand um where it comes from because it's kind of important to understanding the piece but it's um so Mm -hmm. he he actually took lines from uh song and beauty and the beast and switched them but with the intention for it being about surviving the hiv Mm -hmm. right the play but surviving uh, and being like hiv positive and like seeing folks around you die so there's so many like little intrinsicity there's just so many like little things in this book that I think are just quite intriguing um so those are a couple I I know I've talked about a few pieces like Sid's piece like really stands out to me as something that I find like really intriguing um Victoria Ford Newton their piece on I think it's called like marionettes that piece as well is one of my favorites about her mom who's incarcerated so so there's just there's a lot in there Mm -hmm. that's my it's about beasts, but it's also really expanding our definition of beasts and kind of like putting it into what we're experiencing on a daily level as marginalized folks, I think. 
Wow, that is... Listen, listeners, y'all have so many things to chew on <laughs> and enjoy. Like, when we tell you that this, like, there's so much to enjoy here. So, yes, thank you for sharing some of the um, lines and the and the pieces that sort of resonated with you. I guess before we, like, officially conclude, conclude, did you have any, like, just remaining thoughts? Like, just anything that, you know, you wanted to share that wasn't necessarily covered in any of the questions that we asked? I think we pretty much covered all of the stuff that I was really excited to talk about. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm honestly, like, one of the things is just, like, I'm really excited to hear y'all's commentary on on the book. Yeah, when you mentioned that you, like, talked about it in a prior episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly just, frankly, really excited to hear folks talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. And just really appreciative to have been here and to be able to talk about Under the Belly of the Beast after school and Dissonance Press. It's just really exciting. So thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I guess you kind of already talked about this, but like, are there any other sort of future plans for like the after school or distance press that you didn't necessarily mention earlier? Yeah. So our main two, the next projects are going to be the Fortune Express Journal and most likely it's going to be the um, the fast food review. I think we're tentatively calling it um, out of the J box or something like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is, out of the J-Box. Those are the ones we have really lined up. We sort of have a couple that we've been thinking about pursuing, but haven't necessarily like solidly decided that, yes, that's going to be the next one. So I won't necessarily go into it, but we we do have a lot of plans about maybe the possibility of like a tarot card deck or like maybe the possibility of, yeah, like a collaborative one or like, yes, we're still definitely like, we have a ton of ideas. Um, Frankly, we're just trying to kind of like figure out which ones we want to do next and which ones are the most accessible, especially because like while we're first starting, like we want to make sure like I know Rika really wanted to do one where it was like we maybe had folks work with someone in their family who's a different generation than them and like work on a piece together. So we have we have a lot of ideas that we're, and we're just trying to, I think at this moment, just work on kind of like one at a time um, just to make sure we can get them all done. Got you. Got you. <laughs> do you have any, I guess, Like, you know, for the listeners out there that are like, you know, new or aspiring writers, like, do you have sort of like any advice or resources, like basically just any ways that they can kind of get connected with more like initiatives like this, Um, develop their crafts, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the most helpful thing for me was finding like really local organizations that help. So specifically, there's like in LA, and I'm sure you all can join even if you're not in LA, but there's an organization called Women Who Submit, um, and it's for women and non-binary folks, and it basically encourages you to submit places. I think it's super important for marginalized folks to continue to submit. We're like extremely underrepresented in terms of the folks who are hitting the submit button. Mm. Um, And so what's really cool about the organization Women Who Submit is that they actually can help with submission fees if you're like a member they really um they get grants and stuff and they can they can help with that again like my main thing too is like find the local organizations especially if you're just starting like it can be intimidating to apply and by all means please do apply for like the top tier things but like if you really are like just getting started a lot of times the local stuff can be like such a good way to get your foot in the door and like meet people like I run queer poetry reading series so finding things like a poetry reading series or or finding things like just other local organizers and um, they really want to help to like mm. for sure for any queer person I highly recommend just like repeatedly applying to Lambda Literary mm. um, it's a it's a writing retreat that is for queer folks and each year they have a different they have uh, they have uh like i think like five genres but each year they have different staff that work and that mentor and that's actually how i met rika was rika was the mentor rika was the poetry faculty at lambda literary and i was oh, wow. right and like we just happened to both live in la so we were able to like maintain friendship and and everything and so i for sure, highly right. Like they've made such a big difference in my life, but sometimes even just like contacting those organizations, a lot of times you just kind of have to, to really like being a writer is also just like really reaching out, even when it feels like awkward and uncomfortable, but just like asking for help in any way, right. especially because what we were talking about earlier, like queer folks want to help. We want to help other queer folks, like marginalized folks, like we want to support each other and uplift each other. So just, you know, if you if you really want it, like asking for help, I think is really important too. 
Mm. Oh, I feel like that is one of the hardest things for a young writer. You want to so like, yeah. oh my God. Well, okay, Corey, thank you so much for doing this interview with us. I think as Marcy said, there's going to be so much for people to hear and understand and just to be able to reach out to the after school and dissonance press, just even with any ideas that they have or any inspiration. So Ooh, we're so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Yeah. We'd love to talk, to chat with anyone about any ideas that they have. So Corey, Under the Belly of the Beast isn't out yet, but where or when can our listeners expect it when it is published? Yeah. Okay. So we actually did like a chat book pre-release, which is available now. You can find it on our website. Um, And it has three of the pieces that are in the full length uh, collection. You can either buy a physical copy or a digital one if you want to check it out. And that's kind of just to start getting folks aware that this is coming. Um, But the full anthology will be available on February 22nd. You can find it on their website. We'll be sharing links through our Facebook page at Dissonance Press. And yeah, so if you if you want to buy a copy, you can feel free to go on our website and we should be selling pre-order copies as well. Woo. All right. February 22nd. Mark it in your calendars. Get excited. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. What is y'all's, I guess, like contact information? Like how can folks like get in touch with y'all? Right. Yeah. So I would recommend our website is just if you Google like Dissonance Press, like I'm pretty sure we're the first one that pops up. We have a contact page on there. Uh, we have our Gmail account that we use and it's just called the after school submissions at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and that's just for like, you know, if folks are at the after school, they can just like send stuff in directly through there. And then we also have like on our website, we have my contact info is listed under staff. Same with Rika's. We have an Instagram. So, I mean, like we're available on a lot of different venues. Yeah, we're at Dissonance Press. Um, yeah, folks can really reach out. Like you can reach out to me through my website. Like you can reach out to any of us and we'd be on it and excited to talk to you. Woo. Uh, I love that so much and yes ditto what Akko just said Corey thank you so much I just I'm like oh god the more I just like <laughs> like you know we like do interviews and like meet other writers and stuff like that it's just like I don't know there's just like so much out there I'm like it I'm right. really kind of getting hip to how expansive this realm is and I'm just so happy that there are like there are spaces like the after school like that are just so intentional and so collaborative and just like queer as fuck and I just yeah. uh, God, just I love it. I love it. But yes, thank you so, so, so much. And for our listeners, we're going to do our usual quick plugs. Um, if you all have any thoughts about this interview or any things that you want to send to Akko and myself or even to Corey or Rika as well, feel free to shoot us an email at thesecolorpages at gmail.com. We also have a website at thesecolorpages.com and a Twitter at uh. the colored pages. And also, you know, if you want to leave us a little five star review or whatever on like what? Apple Podcasts or whatever, like that would be greatly appreciated yes. um aside from that Akko is there anything else that we should leave our listeners before we head out no I think everything that Marcy just said again if you're a writer just try and reach out to the after school if you're the, in the LA area or you know we got emails Absolutely. still but other than that just remember to stay, stay colorful, colorful.